everyone, and welcome to the Enterprise Podcast. This show is produced by Enterprise, your daily source of news and perspectives on business, finance, and regulation in Egypt. Each episode, we talk with people who are building household brands across Egypt and around the region. Our goal is simple, to help you get your head around what's next. When today's guest, Mohamed Akolo, last joined us for a podcast interview back in early 2020, the education landscape in Egypt was very different. COVID had just disrupted the timeless tradition of teaching in a classroom. The conversation on the sector was topped by distance learning and technology, as well as a shift in the curriculum. But through it all, the defensibility of education had never been challenged. Fast forward over two years later, and we're dealing with a very different animal. The sector was slammed by the high inflation felt by the rest of the economy, which has hurt school operators and parents alike. Population is still overtaking our capacity to provide classrooms, and a fragmented regulatory environment is adding to the list of concerns by private school owners and managers. Also changing is the branding of Egypt's largest listed education company, Sira, which as of today will be officially known as Sira Education. But beyond changing the type font, adding the word education, and throwing in the symbol inspired by Sishat, the Egyptian goddess of writing, wisdom, and knowledge, the rebranding comes at the tail end of a year or two of milestones for the company. This year, Sira Education brought liberal arts education to Upper Egypt with the launch of Bedri University and its inaugural class this fall. Sira is also introducing the concept of technical universities to Egypt by breaking ground soon on Cairo Saxony University. As its CEO, Mohamed Akolla isn't just interested in graduating doctors and engineers. With Sira Talent, he wants to also build viable career paths for artists, dancers, musicians, and athletes across the nation. But outside of traditional academia and schooling, Sira Education is also coming out with the country's first future flow securitization transaction. The transaction, which will allow the securitization of payments that aren't yet on the company's balance sheet, establishes middle-class education as a sector with near-guaranteed cash flows. From pre-K to university, from Lower Egypt to Upper Egypt, from the arts to the technical, from teaching students to teaching teachers, Sira Education has evolved itself to be a fully vertically integrated, multifaceted education platform. And that's what that rebranding is here to symbolize. The Enterprise Podcast sat down with Mohammed to discuss that journey, what it took to get the company there, and what's next for him and Sira Education. I continued my studies York in Canada. You did a master's in what? I did actually advanced studies in refugee law. It was a very specialized studies on um, acceptance and resettlement of refugees. Yeah. Well, I was lucky in a part of the even tuition was paid by the Vatican. Uh, it was an acceptance program in Canada. Um, I even li- lived with nuns for some time. Uh, I was I was living this whole refugee file and I was so attached to it. You know, it's not um, that much of a cognitive difference moving from helping refugees and then students in education. You can totally see the the, the, link. the humanitarian link yeah, between and, the two. And it was interesting part. And then after I finished this part, I moved to other parts of the UN. I worked with UNRC, United Nations Volunteer Program, and then UNDP, or local regional file. And... And I was lucky, and during these days, there was the launch of the private sector program of the UN right. back in the Kofi Annan years. Okay. So still African. And and this guy came with a very interesting notion. And uh, back in the days, no nobody 
any UN agency used to work with the private sector except very limited experiences. Right. But he came with the global compact. He came with the whole idea of how businesses can do impact on the ground. And I, I personally believe he's one of the founders of the actual movement on the ground. It's so amazing. I, I worked by on the whole files that relates to corporate social responsibility, sustainability practices, bottom of the pyramid engagements, uh, really back early in 2000. That shaped a lot about how I started perceiving that the private sector is an engine of development. Right. Rather than just an entity that makes money. There's nothing wrong with making money, but there is a lot of benefit that will happen if you actually manage to really match profitability with impact on the ground. And I came so fascinated with this idea to the notion that when I moved back to the family business back in 2009. uh, What prompted you to go back? And our family is quite a progressive family when it comes to family. Well, they let you work with refugees. They yeah. let you yeah, yeah. go off on this program, work in El Fasher. You probably yeah. must have gotten many calls like, are you yeah. crazy? They, they always had this belief and when you go outside and gain experience, it can always be more useful. So I got a good 10, 11 years of working outside and different UN agencies. And I, I learned a lot. I mean, when everybody asks me, where did you really learn your skills? I say, it's the UN. And I was there at a very good time. And the 2000s was really an ample time in terms of UN outreach all over the place. I moved to the family business. I moved through actually an interesting exercise. And as I will tell you, we had a very progressive family. And back in 2008, 2009, the old board initiated an exercise with IFC on looking at governance. And, and, and key man risk and, and what's going to happen with the second generation. And it was so out of whack during this point of time. And even governance discussion was not at the heart of things. Uh, we did this exercise voluntarily and uh, they came with specific recommendations, includes the movement of second generation. I was lucky to be part of this whole discussion. They wanted to answer this question. And a lot of the board members were growing in age. And one of the key things we're thinking of, what's going to happen next? What's going to happen with succession? And we might as well make a decision now about what's going to happen with this company in the next 15 to 20 years. By nature, the education business is a very long-term business. Right. And my least production cycle, which is a university student, is five years. My school student production cycle is 14 years, which means in the lifetime of any board, you're going to see... Two products, three products at max. You guys work in generations. Exactly. We work in generations. The idea of sustainability is really, really adequate to the idea of working in the educational business because it's such a long time and you tend when you invest to look five, ten years down the line. By nature, people invest in this field or understand it quite well are very long-term outlookers. And hence the idea of, we need to tackle this early. We need to take a look at succession, what's going to happen next. And the main aim of succession, what I to surprise you, was not uh, making sure that this company is profitable. And the foundation of this company itself was really a social entrepreneurial venture, even before there's a concept to call it. Right. And the founders of this, and my dad was actually one of the leaders on this concept, was we would like to present a middle-class educational solution in Egypt that's not affiliated with a religious form. And if you go back in the 80s, mainly middle-class schools were affiliated with religious institutions. It was basically Catholic, Coptic, Islamic in nature, and they were excellent schools. Yeah, let's agree in everybody who got taught in the 70s on the 80s within the middle class of Egypt, even from lower middle to upper middle class, they all went to these uh, entities. For the idea, can it? And would like to provide something that is private sector based, sustainable, long term, and looking at impact and outreach. This whole notion of, and I would like to create something that's profitable, but at the same time impactful, was the notion from day one. For the idea of succession was, I would like to make sure that the next wave 
are actually built and versed with the impact target of this company. And hence why still Sira until now is going to govern rates, building schools and creating this impact model. We're still investing in uh, low income language schools and we still believe in the outreach. And hence is the volume now that Sira has. Yeah, I mean, if you take a look at our numbers, you know, we're very lucky that hopefully in the 23, we're going to reach 50,000 students. That's unheard of for Egyptian private sector. And you have to understand that out of the 50,000 students, 40,000 belong to the middle class. You and I haven't spoken together, at least not for an interview in a long, long time. Yeah. A lot has happened since then. Uh, fans of Making It would know you were season three. You were our first uh, guest during the pandemic. And a lot has happened since then. First of all, you guys rebranded. And I want to jump on that. Alfa Mabruk, by the uh, way. Thank you so much. Uh, but why now? Why did it take this long to to get your uh, rebrand going? We wanted to rebrand for a long time. But to be quite frank, yani, a rebranding exercise is not sitting and seeing a logo. So we made use of the pandemic years and things were a bit slower and we really dig deep into how do we want to look like, really? What is Sira? And I mean, you have been with us for four years now. We have seen Sira have evolved a lot in the past five to six years. And to surprise you, actually, Sira is not only about education. Sira is actually about the value chain of education. A lot of people don't know that we are builders. Yani Sira build all of its own assets. We are a grade A builder. And we only build educational institutions. The idea was, are we going to just drop this hat off? Or are we going to continue doing all what we're doing? But we just want to make sure that this whole brand shows that we're only doing this for educational purposes. So the idea of splitting into three brands, basically. So at core education, so hence the new brand of Sira Education. And then we have two sub-brands. One of them is actually Sira Talent. Because we have a lot of programs that works on talent identification. Um, this is not yani, very known about us, but yani, we work in art, we work in, in sports talents, we work in STEM talents, and we have numerous programs with thousands of students. So what does that program do? Everything from hosting IV camps in Egypt, from uh, running um, football camps with four corners in the UK, uh, from actually arts programs, um, robotics programs. And is the objective is to get students that are in those programs to then move on to a professional setting from there? Exactly. It's the idea of Nihna. We always believe the talent in this country is missed. In translation, and we have actually a whole robust division now. And combined, we serve around four thousand different talents. So you already have four thousand people yes. in that program. In, in today. that program, on different on different aspects, from playing soccer to playing violin. You guys to don't highlight running. that. We, we don't, and that's why one of the areas we decided no, we actually are going to have a whole brand that's focused only on talent, and even thinking of launching a talent school in Egypt. This haven't been done before. So kind of like a Juilliard, but for Egypt? Exactly, to a large extent. But looking at the three talents combined under one umbrella, we're still experimenting with the model, uh, but this is going to be coming out very soon. The other sub-brand is actually Sira Services. We build our own schools. We train our own teachers, as you know. We supply our own technology. We build our own ecosystems. We do our own transportation. So there is a whole robust line of services in Sira. Yani, let me give you something. A lot of people don't realize Sira Transportation Service moves almost 15,000 people a day. Nuts. That's larger than most of the transportation services in Egypt, the private ones. Yep. You're a mass transport system on its own. Mass transport, massive builders. We train thousands of teachers every year. 
can I ask, have, do you monetize these uh, products separately or do they feed into they the feed overall into the system? Vision? But they're so big now that they need their own separate realization. So hence wow. Sira services. So now you have Sira education, which is really the umbrella of what we're doing. You have Sira talent that looks at people and you have Sira service that looks at the value chain. And you guys went in on this with all three in mind or did you decide, okay, we're going to focus on the education. There's this missed opportunity with talent. So we're going to go there and then, you know, obviously we need to service these other functions. So then we decided this or did it always it's just a day, have... It's a day one function. And I'll tell you why. Okay. If you would like to serve the middle class, then you have a very interesting equation. The equation of quality versus cost. Right. And unless you're able to really harness your value chain to be able to deliver quality while working all of these non-profit centers to feed into the end value, you will not be able to provide what we provide. Right. Yeah, and it's something I've said before and I always keep saying, I'm not looking to be in the business of being the best educator worldwide because this comes with a big price tag. Right. And we know the largest educational institutions around the world, what the price tag that comes with. We are trying to be the best value for money. And I think this country needs this balance. We all agree we have limited resources and we have an ample population. So the, the outreach of looking at how can you harness um, resources to reach the highest quality possible is what Egypt should be doing. And that's what we're really doing. Maximizing value. 100%. We now, as we're graduating thousands every year from K-12 to or from universities, um, we are really into this game and we harness it. That's why everything is combined together. And the new branding is a way of showing that this is not just a school or university. This is an ecosystem. Sierra is an ecosystem. And that's how you want to be perceived. 100%. How were you perceived before the rebranding? Because people, I imagine, don't associate, Masalan, if you, I want to sign my kid into Badri University. Would I know that this was a school owned by Sira? What was the brand association before? It was really separate. It was always associated with its own thing. Very few people know what Sira is. You know, among the investor world, Sira is quite known. Uh, among definitely um, government circles, everybody know who but Sira is. But the parents is. had no idea. No. Again, my branding is not really directed towards parents. And at the end of the day, we believe in decentralization. I go to some of my schools and even university, people wouldn't know who I am. And I love that. Because an educational establishment is the ownership of the community and the people in it, not a company. Yep. And this is how we would like to keep things going. So the branding is not really pushed to parents as much as pushed to the ecosystem around to understand what this engine in Egypt can really do and where it can uh, go forward. And I'll give you an interest statistics. If you go back 2008, and that's an interesting time because we had statistics on this done by IFC, family presence within senior management was around 30 plus percent. Today, we don't exceed the 10%. And it's where we want to go. And if you take a look at models you have seen all around the world, only families that managed to answer the question of governance are the one that managed to go forward. Right. Not the one that made more money, not the one that was actually lucky or successful to be at an opportune moment. No, it's only the ones who are able to answer the governance file. Are you seeing that in general in education that's happening or is it still just you guys and maybe one or two other people that are doing this and the rest are still operating with that family business mentality? And I don't even yeah, I want to express this as uh, as bragging, but I think what happened with Sira became a good model for a lot of uh, family operators in Egypt. And I, I talked to a lot of the, them in the younger generation. I will tell you, this is the path we want to go. This, this is how things are actually going to look like. Well, I mean, this is how you get your investment as well. 100%. Like, who's going to invest in just a, a blocked black box? Educational businesses need to be open public books. Education is such a critical 
service in society. So if we agree that Egypt needs the private sector to provide the service because it's such a big deal that the government can't really cover it on its own, then there have to be specific criteria for how companies working in this sector looks like. They have to be open, transparent, reviewed, and that's what Sira have been, always been calling for. We have our books open for everyone. Interesting. Are you in favor of that being legislated or regulated? Do you think that's what it should be? Or it's always smart business practice to do it? For the time being, it's just smart business practice. But Anna, I've been calling for uh, legislation that would say that once you cross a specific number of students, you need to go public. It's the name of the game. Right. It becomes much larger of public liability. Think of a company that actually serves 50,000 students and nobody knows anything about. Right. To a large extent, the regulators in Egypt are comfortable with Syria because they, they see it. I'll be also, again, bl- blunt about it. I think gone are the days where private operators in education can grow on their own. Right. 10, 15 years ago, it would cost us, what, 20, 30 million to build a school? Now it's anywhere between 150 to 200 million. If you want to establish a decent university, you're talking about 3 billion Egyptian pounds. It's very hard for a single private operator to be able to fork that amount of money, even on that basis, to be able to grow. So... If you want to keep a boutique service, then it remains a boutique service with very little impact, small number of students, you're free to do what you want. If you want to grow and serve the thousands, which I personally believe what this country needs, then you need to diversify in how you actually approach investors, be able to get upper tier investors, help you grow at the same time, help you better govern your company going forward. It's a choice. You want to remain here or you want to go there. But going there, there is only one way that's right to do it, which is get proper investors on board, open up your books, be clear and grow in numbers as much as you want because this country needs that. Um, With that in mind, how have you guys positioned the various brands underneath you guys? Bedri University, Futures, Mavericks, like they're still as they are, that hasn't changed, that probably won't change, right? As parents want continuity, parents want stability. It, it, it won't change. It sits there where it sits. Each one of them serve its own continuity. And it's very hard to really combine them under one umbrella. I mean, let's agree uh, within the schooling system, Sira have schools that serves the wider middle class. We even have uh, what we call it open access schools for really low income. And we have upper end A-level schools that charges above 200. We have a, such a wide spectrum. You can't just combine everything. Right. Each one of these brands serve its own community and it needs to be linked with that. So that's, again, more of an ecosystem outlook rather than anything uh, else. And again, the theology of decentralizing educational services is a cognitive component of how Sira operates. Right. And we're not interested to come and change that tomorrow. I mean, don't worry, you won't find me standing <laughs> at the morning routine giving a speech in a school. Uh, <laughs> that's not in our DNA. Back to the stuff that we need to catch up on, yeah, Mohammed. Badr University finally opened. Yeah, Nasut. Mabrook. Yeah, thank God. And I thought, like, this was such a monumental milestone. In the bet itself, and we have been up in Egypt for ages. I think we're one of the really very first investors that come from a Cairo-centric background and really goes into up. We've been up Egypt now for more than 11 years. We're now in Inna, in Suhaig, in Minya, Asyut, in Fayyum getting into money very soon. So we're all over Upper Egypt. So you're kind of pioneers in that respect. Not many people, like now there's increased impetus for private schools to go in. Yes. And a lot of stuff that the government is doing is trying to re-energize urbanization in these areas and try and get the private sector. But you guys have been early movers in that. Yes. Are you seeing people following you towards that yes. trend? Or are you guys still the no. pretty much the no. biggest? We're seeing a lot of them following. And that's why when we introduced the university, we're trying to take another pioneering step. I mean, the idea here was if you go to Upper Egypt, it's such a robust area in terms of population, interest in education, uh, commitment, 
commitment يعني it's no wonder for me why every year even on the public schools students in upper Egypt score at the top get the last 10 years you're gonna find that the top 5 most of them come from upper Egypt there's such an interesting education in the culture within this region that's insane because they've been denied it for so long 100% and if he kept there's a lot of focus on the labor market in this region if you take a look at a governorate like Suhaq for example there is 1 million residents from Suhaq who work in the GCC wow Within Upper Egypt families, people would love to see their kids even more than you find it in Cairo, being either lawyers, doctors, engineers, DAs, or even clever people that be able to either score a good job outside of Egypt, because a lot of them tend to work as an expat, and then you see what expats are doing in terms of basically sending money back home, but also in terms of improving the livelihood. Second is there is a sense of pride within the culture itself that you have clever students within families. How about this? What's the makeup of upper Egyptians that study at Better University? It's the pure middle class upper Egyptians that actually exist there. And I have students there from five governorates in upper Egypt. When we launched, I mean, you have seen our center in Cairo. It's, it's such a landmark campus. We did the exact same one in upper Egypt. We did not cut corners. We did not reduce on anything. It's a state of the art presence. We launched day one with seven faculties. We're bringing uh, bioengineering, we're bringing nursing, we're bringing a lot of demanded services within uh, Upper Egypt, Allied Health Sciences. We're trying to also be a bit innovative in what we do. Um, and, and that's an educational enterprise that will allow 18 faculties, um, an actual technological institute in addition to school and other services. So it's over 85 acres of educational facilities. Yani upon completion, the Sierra BUA zone will be offering more than 40,000 seats of education in Upper Egypt. It's an insane investment and it's done in a new, new city. You know, Gharb, Asyut or Madinat Nasser is actually a flagship city that the government is trying to pull. It's right in front of the airport and it's supposed to become the administrative center of whole of Upper Egypt. And it's such a big play where you're going to see a lot of movement, a lot of growth happening. Where are admissions now? In the inaugural, it's the inaugural class, right? Yeah, 50% above target. 50% yeah. at a thousand students. Yeah. Betting on Upper Egypt is a no-brainer. I've always been seen and thought about. It's, the idea is if you want to really work in this region, you need to study it well. Right. You need to do your homework. You need to be close. You need to be working with local talent there because Upper Egypt population understand Upper Egypt more than anyone else. So if you're going to come with a total Cairo-centric mentality and enter Upper Egypt, I don't think that's the place to be. But if you would like to really get close to the population, offer what they're looking for and blend with them, you're going to get probably one of the best experiences around Egypt. I'm, I'm a proud investor in Upper Egypt and we are big believers in this region. I want to ask on that point, you've kind of pretty much introduced liberal arts higher education to the area. First of all, liberal arts higher education in Egypt, there's a dearth of it. Yes. And I only know of really AUC that really does it. You're now doing it in Upper Egypt. How did that go we launched the program supported in Cairo basically this year. The plan is in two years, we're going to have our own faculty of uh, cinema, theater and dance in Upper Egypt. Uh, we started ours in Cairo almost three, four years ago. It was quite a pioneering one. I mean, uh, I think we're the second bachelor degree in Egypt after the ASC that gives bachelor in, in dance, theme, cinema and theater. And again, we are trying to be as close as we are to the heritage and the work opportunities in this country. And I never want people to forget that arts is one of the things that really got this country where it wants to be in terms of impact in this whole region. That's true. Egypt was a cultural force. It was a massive cultural force affecting language. Even education was a cultural force. Yes. I mean, you know how many people you see in the GCC have been taught by an Egyptian teacher. And I think these are the things 
that we personally as investors would love to see coming back in Egypt supported by proper education. Penetration uh, of the Egyptian role in terms of being such a cultural magnet is something that's highly needed in this country. We cannot only attract investments. We have to catch up on our role as a cultural center. I mean, and a, it starts with education. 100%. Education starts with arts. It's, this is how you get everywhere. And I'm very happy to see this whole investment that's happening into the cinema and theater industry. It's what we're seeing now. And it's such an important note because, take a look, I was just reading an article a few weeks ago about the cinema in Nigeria. Oh, and, no, and, it's, and, killing it. it's killing it. It's killing it. It's killing it. It's killing it. Well, in 10, 15 years? And they're all doing it with basic home level equipment 100% nothing big and it, studio and no it's fancy. all over Africa now yeah, yeah. South no, Africa Nollywood. West Africa yeah, yeah. Nollywood exactly mm. and, and when I read this article they were telling you it's Hollywood Bollywood and then Nollywood and uh, Egypt used to be in that conversation 100% needs to get back to this yeah. conversation so we need to educate talents we need to train talents we need to have people there in the game absolutely um, did you guys break ground on Cairo Saxony yet? Uh, we're breaking ground next week actually. next week yeah it's our, our okay. first uh, dig is next Mabruk. week and uh, we're very excited about it. This is another such a transformational one and now it's actually going to be called Saxony Egypt University Okay. because the notion is we're no longer only going to be Cairo-centric. Uh, the idea is that we're going to launch in Cairo but immediately we're going to have another branch in Upper Egypt. Right away. Yeah. That's the pattern now. Let's yeah. let's prove it in Cairo. In Cairo and, and then, then move it to Upper Egypt to... and, and, and other areas. So it's now Saxony Egypt University. It's our first pitch at technological education. Right. We're so proud to be working with the Saxe Institute in Germany. Yeah. They are the masters of technological education. And what's the different offering from Badr? It's very different. I'll tell you why. Essentially, people used to go to technological are the ones who used to go to Ma'ahid before, yeah. our institutes. Now, I think the government reform of the law and the launch of what they call it the law for technological university allowed now a space where people, instead of going to institutes, they can actually go to technological university, right. earn a bachelor degree. This is that follows the German apprenticeship apprenticeship. It's the model. master yeah. degree in Germany. Right. It's essentially a, a new intake on the master degree. And Egypt, in such a dire need of this, you talk to a lot of businesses around Egypt. A lot of them will tell you, we have a problem with human resources. We digged very deep with this. They have a lot of blue collar. They have a lot of white collar. What is the issue? The issue is everyone in the middle. Because to a large extent, industries now are not moved by brick and mortar. There is a lot of tech involved into running industries. The machinery. The, the machinery, the, the, the usage, AI involved everything. In the, yeah, involved. Yeah, yeah. And the level of complexity. So, I mean, no longer can Egypt improve its industry without the presence of the Meister level. Right. You just can't. To my surprise, when we really digged into Germany, for the first few years, Meister owners make more money than actual bachelor graduates. Right. Um, and there's such an instrumental in their industries that Egypt needs a bunch of these. And the idea is we want to bring the caliber. And that's why when we focused on our first law, we focused on very interesting industries. We look at logistics. We look at this, all of these logistical investment. How many logistic services you have in Egypt in terms of education? Not, not at all. Almost nil. I know the Arab Academy does yeah, something, yeah. but that's pretty much it. And they're looking at my time. I mean, we're trying to do something that actually manages. You have an Amazon now in Egypt. Tell me of a bachelor degree that you have specialized in management of warehouses. None. Or distribution. Yeah. It doesn't exist. L- look at angles of tourism. We're trying to revive tourism again. And I'm very happy about discussion seeing that we need more and more private sector investment into tourism. Where are the calipers? Where is the upper, Where is touristic management in terms of uh, majors and specializations? That's another angle we're looking at. A third angle is the whole, ang- is the whole area of dental assistance and nursing. It doesn't exist. We have dentists we've and we have nurses, done, but everything stories. in the middle we don't have. We've done stories on the healthcare sector yeah. and how they are lacking in nurses. 100%. And how Philippines, for example, had because they've trained up their nurses, 
they are now an exporter of talent when it comes to nurses. Like you go to any hospital in Emirat and your nurse is a Filipino. In fact, we're just back from discussions and a lot of our partners in the US and the number one request that they have, send us trained and certified nurses. Take them tomorrow. They really learned they needed that during COVID. 100%. Yes, COVID and really brought that to life. That's actually one of the most demanded currencies worldwide now is qualified nurses. And by the way, we have a huge nursing school. We have over a thousand nurses in our system. Really? And, uh, yeah, at uh, at Badr. Okay. Egyptians have a very strong talent of care. And if you nurture them right, train them right and certify them, they can be a hard currency for this country. Absolutely. And that's another angle we're focusing on again in the technical institute next to, the, to what we're doing. The last but not least is actually we're looking at car manufacturing okay so the whole um, uh, automobile basically we're looking also at e-mobility we're looking at this whole electric vehicles you're trying to get electric cars here ask any consumer he'll tell you what's my main concern how am i going to maintain this how am i going to service this where is the value chain behind it we're trying to bring calibers to fill this value chain So you're already looking at prospective industries. We're looking at prospective industries for the next five years, and this is where we're hitting with Kairosax. No, that's excellent. I also liked what you were saying about how the model starts off in Cairo and then spreads yes. into the thing. I'm very curious as to why your thinking has always been Egypt-focused and not, let's say, let's open up a school in Emirat or a school in Jordan or a school in Morocco, for example. Look, regional expansion is going to happen naturally for any engine that really grows. And we look at it. But for the time being, again, when I run the statistics that says there is 900,000 graduates in Sanawaya Amma this year, or in general, even secondary level this year between Sanawaya Amma and other certificates, and there is almost 2.5 million entering kindergarten one, we need the gunpowder in this country. There is such a huge bubble of demand for education and potential that you have to fill the ranks here. And there's such a market opportunity to really fill in Egypt. I mean, Egypt now is more than one third of the Arab population. It's where the jobs are gonna happen. And I personally believe that betting on the Egyptian population is gonna be what take this country to the next level. More important than FX More revenue. FX is the is the short term discussion. Right. But human resources is the only way forward. India would not have been India without the human resources. Malaysia would not have been Malaysia That's without true. the human resources. Brazil would not have been Brazil without the human resources. It is the name of the game. No, it is. Um a lot of higher education plays this year. I haven't seen much on the school side though, the K to 12. You opened four schools last yeah. year? L- last was Suhagan in actually, since we're talking about Upper Egypt, that's our new two new introductions. So is this gonna be like pause on schools for now? No. We're gonna focus on getting the university. No, what's, what's next in terms we, of CAPEX? Is, uh, we're, for... we're launching actually the two schools in, uh, with the sovereign fund, which we're very happy about nice. uh, in, in the Cosmic Village. It's a very interesting model that we're doing. Yeah, what's that about? The sovereign fund had this brilliant idea. I think we tagged on it, the Egyptian uh, educational uh, platform also tagged on it. The idea is that we're creating this educational hub. So we have a place where we have four to five schools with central services in the middle in an attraction zone where it becomes close to everybody and they have these ranges of affordability. So it really looks at the middle class from lower income to upper income. And this is K to 12? This is K to 12, folks. What a concept. If you take the assets that's there in this cosmic village, combine them with educational offerings. So next day you have five, six thousand students studying with these facilities around. Have something I've never seen in, in Egypt. Whose idea was that? Them, actually. It was pushed by the Sovereign Fund. And, and they so reached out to you? Yeah. yeah, and it was very innovative, to be quite frank. And I think the model is very interesting. I'm very happy. I would love to see this happening and hopefully would invite you to the launch, definitely. I hope so. I think four schools are launching uh, day one. And the idea is, would love to see this being replicated. That's the kind of things you like to see. That type of innovation 
if the regulator comes with things like that and private sector taps in tomorrow, that's the model this country needs to a large extent. You have a chunk of CAPEX that you want to spend. How do you decide where to allocate it versus schools? or What's that decision making like for you guys? It's combined on two areas. One is, believe it or not, geographical presence. So you guys pick a location first and then decide what does that location need? Exactly. We're looking at expanding governorate by governorate. We're 11 this year. What decides the governor? Lots of things. Uh, demand, um, requests, geographical expansion, our ability to reach out from a logistics point of view. We handle the teaching stuff. Because you sometimes guys teach you Exactly. Yeah. I mean, we just had a very interesting exercise done in Upper Egypt. We trained over 700 school teachers in our schools and other schools. In other schools? Yeah. So other schools for, pay you? Yeah, the they team. don't pay us. We did this for free. Wow. Yeah. And for different even civil uh, organizations around area in Upper Egypt. Yeah, your UN streak really they, does, they, 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 <laughs> does flow in you still. It, it helps us and it helps them and it, and it really worked very well. Right. Uh, and, and these type of things we do before we penetrate. Sometimes even now we penetrate with uh, a preschool. So, I mean, it's an interesting mix. Why did you pick preschool in Fayoum? That was the highest demanded service in Fayoum. Really? Preschool. Because a lot of the young people want to go out and work. work. And so they need a place for the kids. Yeah. Makes perfect sense. If you think K-12 in Egypt is fragmented and not properly governed, I don't want to even take a look at the pre. You were telling us in that story that we did, it's it's, it's like three times the gap. It's it's three times the gap and the quality is a big issue. Yeah. And And again... The way you really grow with chains is very, very, very limited. Why has that sector just been so under? It have, al- it have always been taken a look at as something that uh, some high housewives would actually do on the right. side. It's the sexism exactly. in the thing. Around this. So immature. now the demand is there as more women are entering the workforce. 100%. And, and this is where we're coming from. And I'll tell you again an interesting insight into this. Hmm. We have looked at models around the world and the way they treat uh, pre-K is very different from us. They take a look at educational enterprises at what they call the minus 2 to 12. Explain. When you take a look at our jargon, it's always about K to 12. So you start at kindergarten one and then you move to grade 12. But essentially now with the sophistication we're seeing around the world, there have to be a common educational approach to how you handle kids from when they are one and a half years old. Right. Go to Scandinavia and that's really at the heart of the discussion. Now, what do we do from zero to one and a half? Wow. But I think we're still far away from that. So what are we really now fixated on is how we do from one and a half to three and a half. Because I'll tell you something. My three and a half, 10 years ago, used to come to school crying, doesn't understand anything in life except his mom and dad, probably some relatives, have seen a couple of cartoons on TV and played with a couple of relatives. My three and a half was coming in today, can use the phone better than me have seen probably gazillion inputs on his phone, on their tablet, on the TV. They're not shy in terms of existing in different societies. They have seen such a plethora of information. Their head is full of stuff. So unless you now start to work with this sponge from a year and a half till three and a half, you already have already a preformed behind. product before entry. Right, right. And hence the idea of that Innovet and the work that Dina is doing, who actually I'm, you know, I'm very happy with working with her because Dina is such a pioneer in this angle from a regulatory front as well as from an entrepreneurial front. Uh, Dina Duhayev, actually the, the Innovet, I mean, she was launched Baby Academy back in the days and and then she went to Canada and then she came back and, and first thing for Sira was Dina, we want you to be with us. We want to lead this together. And you have such a strong theology about how to do things. And I'm very interesting to see over the year that I will come back and say, you know what? Sierra does not offer K-12. Sierra offers minus 2 to 12. You tell us what do you want, we want to see your kids looking like and they start from year and a half with us, getting geared towards that. And and people are so fond of the idea that, I mean, if you've seen our numbers, I mean, we have grown from a model of 91 kids in less than two years, we're around 300 plus. That's amazing. Yeah. 
Yeah. Another uh, big deal or big new thing that Sierra has launched. I can't have this conversation without talking about the first future flow securitization transaction yeah. in Egypt. That was a very big deal. First security of its kind to ever launch in Egypt. Uh, milestone for capital markets here. But I do have to ask about the timing. We're here at a very high interest rate environment. Does that not give you concern or worry? يعني I would lie if I told you no. But uh, we have always believed in taking leaps of faith. Right. 2018, when we listed on the market, everything was going down and we took a leap of faith and I think we delivered. It's always calculated, but I mean, are we going to basically see more interest than what happened? We reached 20% and 21% when you put basically services over by the time. You know, people sometimes forget right. what happened. We're still at 13. Let's agree. That's you, true. Yeah. But it's going to go up. It, it's going to go up. But uh, is it going to go up to the extent that you don't want to do it now? Because I have news for you. What you don't going to do today, you're going to do with one and a half times of CapEx tomorrow. That's true. And, and so if you're going to do it, might as well do it do now. Do it now. That's the, the concept that we're having. Second, the future cash flows is a very interesting model. Why? Because at the end of the day, it gives you the liberty of really working now, getting things executed, pay installments and pay a bulk towards the end once educational enterprises are actually up and running and help you with the payment uh, right. down the sphere. And it works for education. It works like, very well with education. Because you guys already have, like you were saying, cycles in the 14-year period. 100%. And even if we look at it just from one academic year, you kind of know how many students are coming in this year, 100%. how many and, students uh, are returning from last year. After the start of the financial year, I mean, yesterday we launched our numbers, right? Mm. Our investors know our year-end figure by deviation of 5% max by end of year. So there's such certainty about this business that it becomes really ideal for such future cash flows. And the issue why, if we wanted to do a bond or a suck, we would have done it in 20% of the time spent on this future cash flows. But we chose to stick with this and work with it and become a pioneer in, in helping bring this to the table because it had a very, very important conceptual lesson that needs to be taught. Educational enterprises are not about the assets. It's about the service and the demand for the service and the volume that you're actually serving on the ground. Well, COVID kind of taught us that. Schools were out of the picture as physical assets, but education was there. You can't really replace schools. I'm telling you, take a look at all the educational, um, what you call it, tech educational bases that happened during the COVID was really skyrocketing. Where are they now? There is a lot of social component around education that gives you this certainty around the business itself. Even if education evolves in the way we teach, or the way we present, the component of students, specifically young at age, up till grade nine, coming together is an exceptional part of education. Doesn't that mean that a physical asset, having a physical place where they meet becomes very important? Does it say that this physical place have to be owned? No, not at all. Has to be there? No. Nope. No. It's just that the service itself is what really matters. So then why to this day are private school owners complaining about we need more land, we need this, we need to build? I'll tell you why. The moment it becomes easy for this country to build schools and allow them for rentals on probably long term that will allow operators to work, very few of us are going to actually spend up on CapEx anymore. So there needs to be an actual 100%. Shift. There needs to be a formula. I mean, I've always talked to the PPP project with the government and right. I've always told them, if you guys manage to get a proper offering on the ground, everybody will be happy. Why isn't there a proper, you know, proposition? I hope phase two would solve the issue. But at the end of the day, I have not seen until today a business model that works for the private sector. Right. There have to be an agreement on how things will look like. 
and have to be a workable model. Once we kick the workable model, this is going to really help this country run. Have you seen phase two? It's a much more workable model. Much but more. It's, it's still somewhere in the middle where there is, a, there is a piece of land that you come in and you basically build an asset on and you continue. So there's still this component of actually building an asset on and you continue with it for a few years and then you transfer. But still the economics are much better than the previous right. one to a large extent. Is it my end dream? No, it's not my end dream. But I don't think the end dream will happen now because there's a lot of limitation of the resources in this uh, country. But I mean, an end dream would be that the like you see in the GCC where government build a lot of schools and then... Hand Private operators out. come in, operate them, and pay over the years. The government gets its return back. People get the qualified service. And then the government sits back and says, you know what? I've built the schools. We have different operators. Let me now regulate them and, and look at their quality. With all the stuff happening now with the FX crunch and I don't think That's why I don't crunch, think this is going to happen you now. You think this is no. on pause? That's why I'm, I'm a bit satisfied for the time being of what I hear about phase two. Right. I'll, I'll wait until the basically we ink something out right uh, but it's a work in progress coming back to the future cash flows the idea is that we would like to send this knowledge across the fact is that the fra was very open to have this discussion and pushing for it uh, and really get the law out is really good because at the end of the day it tells you that there is a regulator who understands this concept and says well there is few industries down this line that i can bank on their cash flows and education is, is definitely one of them I want to address this point for a few. Very defensive in terms of cash flow education as a sector on the whole. Yeah. But with all the problems with inflation, we're hearing that in certain schools, enrollments are down. People are starting to move their kids out of more expensive schools and into less expensive schools. So then doesn't that model of a guaranteed cash flow on a school-by-school basis, doesn't that argument fall by the wayside? No, and and I'll tell you why. Because to a large extent, the argument is around what we call it large platform schools. Okay. And the ones that are dedicated to the middle class. So if if you're having a boutique high-end school and you're coming for this, I don't think that's the tool for you. If you have five, six, seven schools and you work in the middle class area, middle class education is such a defensive angle in this country. Because we're all familiar with the problems with public education. I mean, that, that, that's something that's out there in ranking, out there by the government. Everybody understands the service. So for middle class, having a private educational solution is, is not a choice. Right. It's actually a, a big part of where they run their investments for their kids to a large extent. And that's why it's quite defensive. If I operate my kids in a niche school, where am I going to fall back? Middle class school. Right. But if I'm in a middle class school, am I going to fall back to a public school? You would sa- you would make the sacrifice. Th- that would be, that would be a very, very hard one right. to, to really take by a lot right. of parents. And, mm. and hence why the middle class education is a very bankable asset. So what segment are we talking about? Tuition fees of between what? Anywhere between 9,000 to 70,000, 80,000 Egyptian year. Yes. So those are safe. Those are very safe. Pretty much. Yeah. Okay. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Enterprise Podcast. Our discussion with Mohammed Akkala continues next week, where he walks us through the many changes that happened to education since COVID and the choppy waters it faces today. He also gives us a glimpse into what he feels is the future of education and what he feels is the most underinvested segment in education. The answer might surprise you, so don't miss it. A quick disclaimer. Sierra Education has been a longtime supporter of Enterprise and Blackboard, our weekly dive into Egypt's education sector every Monday. 
Their support now extends to Enterprise PM, which publishes daily Sunday through Thursday at 3.15 p.m. Subscribe to the Enterprise Podcast and stay tuned for more exciting interviews exploring what's next for business. You can find us on all major podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Remy, and wherever else you get your podcasts. You can also check out our podcast, Making It, our interview show on how people like Karim Awad from EFG Hermes and Omar Hagras from Trella have built and grown great businesses right here in Egypt. And don't forget to become an Enterprise reader by subscribing at enterprise.press. That's enterprise.press.